Mother and child, come with me. Sisters young and old, now we see. Let's all come together. Mm -hmm. Come together. Welcome back, listeners. You're listening to the Fem South podcast, and I'm your host, Lee. So this is our last podcast of 2020, and we thought it'd be a really good idea if we got some of our core members together and just kind of looked back over the year 2020 to talk about all the things that went down how we handled 2020, and what were some of the highlights. I've invited two of our core members, Shannon Fountain and Jillian Rosandich, to join me today in this conversation. Jillian is our events coordinator, and Shannon is our book club coordinator. We also have another core member in our group, Amina Lansour, who does our films, but she was unable to make it today and so we really miss her and, and um, just wanted to give a shout out to her and all the amazing work that she does for Film South. And really what we want to do with this last episode is to reflect on this year, to look back over the books that we've read, to look at the films that we've watched and some of the events that we've held over the year. Uh, 2020 did present us with a lot of challenges with the pandemic and with um, the political landscape here. But I think overall, we did a really good job in 2020. And we also want to look ahead at what 2021 is going to hold and some of the topics that we are interested in exploring next year. So before we get started, though, now's a great time to just say if you're interested in joining a book club, if you're interested in joining a community of like-minded women, Now's a great time to do so. We're wrapping up 2020 in December, but we're going to start again in January of 2021 with some great topics that I'm sure you will find very interesting. So you can join us on our private Facebook book club group. You can follow us on Instagram. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. Let us know what you think. We can also be supported on Patreon at FemSouth slash Patreon um, for as little as $5 a month. So let's get to the program. Thank you, Jillian and Shannon, for joining me today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. It's been a long... Can I cuss? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's been a long-ass year, uh, collectively and personally, and so... I think it'll be nice to have a chance to reflect on that and set some intentions for 2021, and I'm so glad to be here. Likewise, 2020 has been such a significant year for everyone, and I really appreciate the opportunity to just gather and reflect on um, what we've been through and set some intentions for what we all hope will be a much brighter 2021. 
Yeah, so let's just kind of jump right in. Um, tell us how your 2020 went. Uh, Jillian, if you want to go ahead and start off, that'd be great. So um, obviously lockdown was tough. COVID was tough. It was a scary time full of uncertainty. I got sick with COVID, as did my partner that was staying with me at the time. So we were quarantined for a long while working from home obviously sickness and the monotony that comes with you know staying inside your tiny one bedroom home is tough i you know had some turmoil with family members over political issues i'm sure that that is a sentiment a lot of people can share this year and those haven't been resolved and i feel really sad about that and i think there's a lot of healing i need to do you know, personally with my family that our nation needs to do in the wake of, you know, a tumultuous four years with Donald Trump, social justice issues that came to a head this year. They weren't new issues, but it was kind of a new wound that opened. And um, I feel hopeful, though, and I feel empowered and I feel free because I've realized what matters to me, and I've realized that I have a lot of power over my own life to make the decisions that I want to. I finally have accepted, like, I'm a grown-ass woman, and I can do what I want, and I can choose to do things that make me happy, and I don't have to please other people before I please myself. I read this great quote from Glennon O'Doyle. I'm sure y'all know who she is. Most of the listeners probably know who she is. And... To summarize it, it was like, if you have to choose between disappointing someone else or disappointing yourself, like, always choose to disappoint the other person over (laughs) yourself. And that just resonated with me so much. And so I'm heading into the new year feeling cautiously optimistic, knowing that when the clock strikes 12 on December 31st, it won't mean all of the BS from 2020 is over. But I just think I'll feel um, prepared to take on whatever 2021 has in store. 2020 has been a long, long year. Um, As both of y'all know, uh, the last few years have been really long years for me. Uh, 2017 left my marriage. 2018 officially got divorced. Um, You know, finished getting my teenage son through high school and off to college. And honestly, in September 2019, I thought, okay, finally, this finally I have a year with no major changes and it can be a year for me to rest and recuperate. And then... (laughs) I don't want to laugh at that. And then... Oh, dark humor is great. Um, So, yes, then 2020 hit like an atom bomb and... I know for many people, their experience of 2020 has been being, you know, home and quarantine, virtual schooling their kids. However, I work in a hospital, so I've actually been juggling five times as hard through 2020 to show up for work every day, to find childcare. Um, My youngest was out of school for five months, and of course, my son's college closed. (laughs) And he had to finish out the semester online. So, yeah, 2020 has not been a boring, dull, quiet year for me at home. It has been um, 
a year in which I've had to juggle more fiercely perhaps than I have um, in the past few years of my life. And then on top of that, then we had the hurricane. Um, two hurricanes. I forgot about that. <laughs> two hurricanes, actually. And um, I also showed up for work with my, the day after the hurricane, the day before the hurricane. And um, it's just been quite a year. And um, in the midst of that, I am now buying, selling my house and buying a new one. I thought that was going to be a leisurely process that I would start in 2020 and wrap up in 2021. But that has gone much quicker than I thought it would. And now I am closing on my house next month and moving. So we're going to close off this year with a bang. And um, I will say the good thing about 2020 for me is I feel like I reached a few new lows and was able to bounce back. I actually feel calmer and happier and more in control of my life now than I did at the beginning of this year. And I'm grateful for that. I'm not sure why, but that's how I feel. Yeah. I mean, I feel like for 2020, hmm, I don't even know where to begin. I think when it first started and the pandemic first happened, those few months whenever school was kind of released and my kids were home and they didn't have to go to school and our quick, fast-paced life just slowed down. Those were some really nice moments, actually, for me. Um, and I know that that sounds terrible in light of all the people who got COVID and were suffering and lost people that they loved. But here, for me, with my family, it, it felt like, for once, I got permission to just stop. And that was really nice. And then it just it seemed like after... Um, after the summer hit, it was just one thing after another, right? With the, the killing of George Floyd, with our hurricanes that hit back to back. We had a pretty intense hurricane season. And then when school came back in August, I started teaching online. So all of my regular face-to-face classes went online. And for those of you that don't know, I teach college English. And that was really challenging because um, because I hadn't really... I've taught online before, but we had to have a very in-person presentation online. And so it was just really hard to connect with my students on a, a platform that only lets you see nine students at a time. And it was really difficult to have to transfer all of my lectures or all of really my class discussions, because most of my classes are about getting students in the groups and, and discussing things. And that just became really challenging on the online platform. And plus, I was working so much more because now, you know, you can't just answer a question really quickly in two seconds in your classroom, you have to type it out, and you have to all these emails and text messages, because students, you know, expect to be for you to be right there for them at any moment. And so that was really challenging. And I was doing a lot of work and not getting paid for it. And so I had a huge moment of reflection this year as an adjunct teacher, that I've been doing a lot of work for the last but I've been adjuncting for nine years now, for the last nine years without getting paid much. And so that prompted me to go and try to get my teaching certification. So now I am transitioning and trying to get teaching certification to to teach high school so that I can have a steady income and an actual job where people 
keep me in the loop of things. And so that's been a huge transition for me this year is just kind of figuring out that that might be my next path to teach high school, because it's something that I never really saw myself doing. But well, I think you bring up a great point. Like you and I are both teachers. I've always taught online. So for me, it wasn't much of a shift. And then Shannon works in a hospital. So none of our work stopped. Um, maybe work looked a little different for us. And Shannon, you obviously, as one of our healthcare heroes, were taking, uh, or it was probably more arduous for you to go into a hospital every day during this when, you know, I was working from home and Lee, you were working from home. But we still didn't get a break during all of this. And so I think that's hard too. I think you go into that kind of like um, combat mentality of like, I just have to focus on the task at hand and getting through it. And uh, when you were talking about feeling this kind of like calm resoluteness at the end of the year, I feel that too. And I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing. I think it might be like, we're so shell-shocked that it's like, you know, we've reached this this point where we're like, okay, like I can take on anything now and I'm going to move forward. Shannon, you shared this great quote the other day and the gist of it was stop telling me I'm strong. Can you like rephrase that for me? Cause I feel like that is really apropos for what we're discussing. Yes. And that, that is something, a thought that I have tried to express to many friends many times over the last couple years, bumpy years of my life. And then I found this quote that really summed it up so well. So this is the quote. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Really? Yet another trauma avoidant survivalist cliche that is intended to keep you looking for the bright side when you are down on the ground bleeding from a knife wound. Sure, sure. Sometimes your traumas can make you stronger kind of like the way that heat hardens steel. And sometimes they can F you up good, destroy your will to live, debilitate your capacity to trust. When in the presence of someone who is almost killed by trauma, don't remind them of their strength. Remind them of their tenderness and invite them to be gentle with themselves as they endeavor to heal. That's by Jeff Brown. It kind of is a gut punch mm -hmm. to hear you read that. I mean, I think as women, our response is always to mitigate or to placate or to, you know, de-escalate. And this came up during our discussion on No Visible Bruises, which was actually my surprise favorite book that we read this year, which was about domestic violence. And I remember during our book club meeting, you know, people would share kind of heavy experiences that they've had with domestic violence. And I noticed that, you know, there would either be an awkward silence after they shared and or someone would jump in and I was one of them. <laughs> someone would jump in to say like, oh, well, you know, at least blah, blah, blah. And it was like this finding of the silver lining. And I think we as women are kind of conditioned to do that. And I think, you know, people in general are conditioned to do that with things that make us uncomfortable. And so it's helpful to take a moment to remember that that we don't we don't always have to find the silver lining. Sometimes shitty things can just be shitty. But um, yeah, I really like that quote. Yeah, I liked it too. And I like that point that we don't have to always find the silver lining. I think that's something that we've actually been trying to practice more in our book club. When women do share and release their feelings that we don't all have to 
jump in there and try to make them feel better, but just to hold space for that release. And I found myself trying to give myself permission this summer to just be sad or to be fearful or to be angry or all of these ranges of emotion during a really unprecedented time. And I found that to be challenging at first to kind of let the emotions out to be able to say, this is a proper normal response to what's going on in our world. Like you should be afraid. You should wake up and cry this morning if you feel like it and feel like you can't get out of bed. Um, because what's going on is all really very um, difficult and, and troubling. So, And I will say this year for me has been as much a spiritual journey as anything else. I've really struggled with meaning and purpose and how to relate to what's going on around me. And um, it's just been interesting. And, you know, it's always hard to describe inner experiences. But starting off with the emergence of COVID, I just felt that my path this entire year has been to to become more and more comfortable with loss of control, with personal loss of control, and letting things be what they are instead of trying to escape them or control them or sunny side up them. That's another way of <laughs> saying we're looking for the silver lining. I like that. Um, and just surrender to what is. And sometimes what is sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, agree. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you completely. <laughs> uh, One of my coping mechanisms is to just clean. Like the more uh, anxiety I feel, the more I clean. And I think I swept my floor. Like I can't even tell you how many times <laughs> I swept my floor. I know it sounds a little bit weird and crazy, but that's kind of like my thing. I wish that was my coping mechanism. <laughs> I wish that was my partner's coping mechanism or my kid's coping mechanism. But I think that's something that's been hard for me because I live alone. My partner's long distance. And at the end of this year, I'm actually going to move and join him across the country, which is another thing to look forward to. But um, living alone during all of this has been tremendously hard. You know, and for people that were saying how dra crazy their husbands and partners and kids were driving them, maybe it's like a grass is always greener on the other side thing. But I just remember feeling so incredibly lonely and having realizations of like, I haven't touched another human being in weeks and months. Like, I just want to hug. I just want... um to hold someone or to have, you know, quiet company in my house. I want someone to be sitting on the other end of the couch as we both read books or something. So I think uh, that's contributed a lot to my sadness and my anxiety this year. So that's another thing I'm looking forward to leaving in the past. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, because I think that resonates with a lot of people who are living alone during this time period. We have had a lot of people in our group you know, express the loneliness of being without family right now. So should we maybe kind of go through our book list and talk about some of the things that we did do, though, this year, despite the pandemic and all of the issues? Because, I mean, I feel good about all the work that we actually did do as a group. We could have easily shut down, and we did, and we just kept on going. And I think we did, all, we read a lot of amazing books, and we 
held some online events and uh, we learned how to shift from a face-to-face event to an online event and to an outdoor event and properly socially distanced event. So yeah, honestly, I'm so impressed you kept it going. So kudos to you, Lee. Honestly, like um, a lesser person would have said, let's take 2020 off. And really, our, I know our Zoom socials were a huge, uh, they were great for me to be able to see people's faces and interact. But yeah, let's talk about what we read and watched and did this year. Okay, I'll just kind of go over our book list real quick and then in our movie list. So for those of you who don't know, we read a book every two months. And that's what we decided to do in 2020 because in 2019, we were feeling a little bit overwhelmed with all the books. So instead, this year, we did one book a month and one film in the month that we weren't reading a book. And so we started off in January with New Feminist Christianity. We did a three-part series on uh, Christian feminism. We read Octavia Butler's The Parable of the Sower, which was like the perfect time <laughs> to read this book. And we didn't even know because the pandemic hadn't yet hit when we started reading Parable of the Sower. It was kind of like um, happening simultaneously. Then after that, we read Herlan and Sultana's Dream, which are two um, utopian fiction books. And then we shifted because when George Floyd was killed, it was really felt like, okay, we have to really read something that's going to address racism in the United States. And so we took some of our other books that we had on our list off and turned to Bell Hooks and read Killing Rage and Ending Racism, and then also her book, Teaching to Transgress. And then we shifted over to Domestic Violence and read No Visible Bruises. And this month, we're ending with Jeanette Winterson's Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit. And just really quickly, the movies that we watched were The Brand New Testament, which was um, produced by Jaco Van Dormel, which I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, Pariah by Dee Reese, Daughters of the Dust by Julie Dash, The Vote, um, and A Girl Walks Home at Night by Anna Lily Amirpour. And usually our other person who is in our core group, Amina, is not with us today. She couldn't join us. And she's our actual film coordinator. And she's the one who selected these films and put together our events. And um, so we really have her to thank for them. And she was going to come on and talk about them a little bit more. But like I said, unfortunately, she cannot be with us today. But we do miss her. Yeah. And she really, I want to say she curated them because she has such an eye for art and film. And she really selected the most appropriate and beautiful pieces to accompany what we were reading. Yeah, definitely. And we also held two workshops online. Well, one of them was online, The Resilience Building for Women, which was based on Joanna Macy's The Work That Reconnects, and our friend Anna Swisher hosted that. And then we did our Phoenix Ceremony, which is one that we did outside, properly socially distanced, by a bonfire, and that was where we wrote letters to release traumatic events or negative energy or whatever and put it into the fire and release that. So I think we did pretty good considering, right? Yeah, when you say when you spell it all out like that, it sounds like we were just constantly doing something, which in a way, you know, maybe we were if we're always reading or whatnot. And it's crazy to think that we used to read a book every month. Like, that's a lot. So I'm proud of everyone that managed to power through all of it. Um, I'm curious to know, what were y'all's favorite books out of that list? Surprisingly for me, 
because I actually strongly advocated for several of these topics. But the book that I enjoyed reading the most was Sultana's Dream by Rokea Hussein. I just thought it was such a lovely tale. And I really, I got the edition that um, had some of her other essays and, and a biography about her. And I was just really fascinated with her as a figure, her life, her mission, and um, her writing I thought was incredible. Yeah, she was really ahead of her time. Yeah, I would really like to see a film rendition of that book, too. I think it would be really nice. Yeah, it would make a great short film. And we have, I should say, we did do a podcast on that, Sultana's Dream and Charlotte Perkins Gilman's Her Land, which we haven't released yet because we were right in the middle of recording that, and I was trying to edit that when George Floyd was killed, and I kind of put everything on a standstill to focus on racism and we haven't gotten a chance to get back to that particular podcast but hopefully that one will be coming out we'll probably push it back to 2021 as a podcast to come out then yeah i'll look forward to hearing it we have one in the vaults for a rainy day (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i really liked well i i should say the one that i enjoyed the most was Parable of the Sower because i really love octavia butler and i really love dystopian fiction and it seemed so real uh, considering everything that was happening at the time we were reading, which was like, what, February, I think, March. Um, But another book that I really got a lot out of was um, Bell Hooks Teaching to Transgress. Uh, As a teacher, this one is one that I'm really trying to read and reflect on. And right now I'm reading it alongside um, Frere's The Pedagogy of the Oppressed, because I really want to apply a lot of these ideas to my own teaching. And so that's been something that's been the most useful to me in my life. What about you, Jillian? What's your favorite book? You kind of already mentioned Oh, one, yeah. But... I, I think I said um, my, like, the one that surprised me the most, I think if you look at an overview of every book we read this year, that probably would have been low on my list if I had to order them before reading them. But it actually was No Visible Bruises. Um, It just, it revealed a lot to me that I never knew about. I think domestic violence is a very taboo topic. I think it's something, you know, we don't talk about a lot. I think it happens way, way more than we think about or we know about. And I like the writing style of the author, sometimes just pure nonfiction is hard for me to get through and so I like that it was a nonfiction book but written in a narrative style and I think that it led us to have a really fruitful book club conversation where people felt they could be quite vulnerable and share with us and I think it's probably just the book that I learned the most from. Yeah I really like that one too. I felt like that one was probably for our book club discussion, one of our most releasing, where for those that did share, they got a real release of some serious trauma that they were holding on to, which I thought was super powerful and meaningful. Yeah, I remember when it was over being like, let's go get a drink. <laughs> that was fun. We did go get we a drink. We went and got a drink. <laughs> and like, we kind of continued the conversation, but in a way that felt a little less serious, you know, more just like you're talking to girlfriends and... I'm glad we did that. That was a lot of fun. So, 
Can we talk about that, though, this idea that our books are so serious and heavy? Because that came up quite a few times this year. And I've really struggled with trying to balance like what I guess people feel like are very difficult and serious topics with lighthearted topics. Like, What do you guys think about some of the topics that we've chosen this year? I know I've made that complaint to you before. <laughs> well, you're not the only one, Jillian. I saw you cutting your eyes over here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, it's it's t- it's a tough nut to crack because on one hand, to address issues that are affecting women in the South, I mean, most of them are going to be about topics that people find uncomfortable or challenging in some way. Um, and I think for me, as I used to be such a voracious reader, and over the past few years, as screen time has increased, I've become such a terrible reader. And I think for me, I would look at my bedside table and I would see this stack of fiction books I bought for pleasure, just stacking up and collecting dust. And I was always kind of working through this heavier, oftentimes nonfiction work. And it became a lot. And I think in a time and in a year when everyone else was dealing with so much, it was kind of like, oh, do we really want to read this heavy work? And I think that that becomes difficult and maybe that affects attendance, um, maybe that affects people's ability to, to pick the books up. I don't know. I wouldn't mind if we read some more... <laughs> lighthearted things for 2021 but on the other hand it's like hard to like you can't dismiss the importance of what we're reading so it's a hard it's a fine line to walk well when we were lining up the books for 2020 my main agenda was that we do a better job of balancing fiction and nonfiction because I'm a huge fiction reader and I'm of the belief that you can learn as much from a fictional novel as you can from from nonfiction. And so I think we did a good job this year of balancing fiction and nonfiction. We read three works of fiction. One was um, a dystopian, which was Parable of the Sower. Octavia Butler is amazing. Everyone should read one of her books, at least one of her books. Probably don't read Parable of the Sower right now unless you want to have nightmares. <laughs> um, and then we read feminist some utopian books which was um but they turned out to be really dark not to interrupt but exactly we tried to pick something light in the (laughs) utopian and it turned out there was a very very dark side there yeah and then this month we're reading um Jeanette Winterson's Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit which to me is a very enjoyable read I mean, what is your frustration with that Lee I know as like kind of the primary um captain of this ship like, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about addressing these important topics versus getting engagement? Because I know we've had this conversation at least a handful of times this year. Yeah, I mean, it's always a struggle for me because, I mean, I love fiction too, but I'm also a huge lover of nonfiction. And I feel like I get more out of nonfiction. I learn a lot. And um, and a part of this book club, a part of the actual mission I feel for this book club is to educate women on these more difficult topics and to address these difficult topics. And so I feel responsibility is what it is to choose the books that are going to enlighten women the most. And But on the other hand, (laughs) some of those books, I, I have found that 
if they're difficult to read, our readers don't necessarily want to read them and they won't, and then they won't show up and we'll have lower attendance than what we hoped for versus our easier, lighter books to read, our fiction, um, we'll get more attendance out of it. And so it's kind of, for me, it's a little bit of a disappointment because I would hope that everyone would be as interested in fiction as they would be in nonfiction and that they'd be really interested in learning and understanding something about feminist theory or about women's history or about, you know, some of our books this summer that got really poor attendance was the, was our ones on, you know, racism. And that to me felt like we had a responsibility to really look at this issue and especially here in the South, because we do have a, a huge problem with racism and especially even in our little community. And so I was really hoping that there'd be a lot more participation in that book and a lot more people excited to educate themselves. And it was just a disappointment to see so few people show up and, and do that. On the other hand, I know that people were fatigued. People were afraid to challenge themselves with something that they perhaps they didn't know. It's, it's, it can be really difficult to open yourself to new information, perhaps that you didn't know or that you didn't consider. And it's even more difficult, and I forget this all the time, but it's really difficult to take that knowledge and apply it into your own life. So like, for example, with No Visible Bruises in the um, conversation about domestic violence, it took me a while to really understand that for some women, this is really a, a revisiting of some really traumatic experiences. And so to ask these women to do that, you know, is is a pretty tall order. So I think that's kind of what am what are we asking women to do and are we providing a a space that's that's capable of 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 helping them and holding that space for them if, for that kind of transformation. Well, Lee, I think your approach to selecting books really shows your background as an English professor and you know, if the members of our book club were going to be tested or have to write an essay on the book, <laughs> that would be a different case scenario. But, you know, this is this this book club is meant to be educational. And, you know, this is something that I've struggled with in with FemSouth myself, which is that, you know, I see this group as, yes, being educational, but it's also, you know, a hobby. It's a leisure activity. It's a socialization activity. It's um, pleasurable for me because, you know, as a, a hospital employee and a single mom, my life is full of hard, difficult, have to have to do things. And I just don't see book club. I don't approach book club with that same level of seriousness and, and intensity because I do see it as, as being for fun. Yeah, and I think that just reflects my personality. I have a lot more, <laughs> I think I've had a lot more difficult time just relaxing and having fun mm -hmm. versus being serious. So certainly that's been a problem for me and something that I've had to like really uh, try to tame a little bit. Yeah, Lee, I know we've talked about this a few times. It's like you can't be everything to everybody. Like everyone might have a different idea of what they want out of a book club. And I know for me, a few of the books we read this year were not my cup of tea. Um, and that's all right. You know, I think that you've done a good job of trying to solicit feedback from people. We've done polls about what they might be the most interested in. I think 2020 is a hard year to try to gauge any sort of metrics for how certain yeah. books or events were, were, you know, received by the group. So 
I do have ideas for things I would like to read in 2021 that are perhaps slightly lighter, um, but are things that I'm really curious about that I think are relevant to feminists now. I know I really want to read about diet culture. Mm. Um, I really want to read more about female sexuality, about the orgasm. I know we discussed that before we had to turn the attention of the group to other things. Um, I, I, what would be of personal interest to me would be reading about like entering the workforce as a woman. Like how has that changed, mm. you know, over the last five or 10 years, it's different than it was in the eighties and nineties. So I know those are things I'm interested in exploring. What about you guys? I love several, several of your ideas and diet culture would be super interesting. Um, and women in the workplace. Yeah. I feel like this year has really been a year of career growth for me, oddly enough. Um, I had been, after my divorce, I had been waiting for quite a while for a full-time position to come open with my employer. And ironically enough, that happened one month after school shut down. <laughs> so I went full-time. <laughs> At the worst At time. At the same time <laughs> that the school shut down. But it really has been a great year for me of just feeling like I'm I'm getting my feet back on the ground professionally after uh, many years of working part-time while being more focused on raising my kids and my family. And now I'm, I feel like now that I only have one child left at home, I'm really refocusing on what, you know, my professional goals are and what I want to do with the next 20 years of my career. And that has been really interesting and satisfying for me. So I like that idea about women in the workplace. Yeah, I'll echo that to you. It's one of the uh, topics I have on my list, women in business. But I also want to look at a history of women through art and try to do something in connection with our local art center and art gallery, because I think that would be really nice. And another topic that I'm really interested in, well, there's a couple more, midwifery, because we haven't really discussed that. And I know so many women who are in the field who've been asking to speak on the podcast. And so I want to try to figure out a really nice book that can complement some podcasts. Because I'm, I'm also thinking about like what would make for a good podcast too when we read books. And the other thing that I'm really interested in is women in psychedelics. Because I also have a lot of friends who are studying plant medicine and plant medicine circles. And I'm so excited to interview them and talk about that. And I want to find like the perfect book that will give us a really good historical uh, look at women, maybe female shamans, or maybe even some women who were instrumental in um, understanding psychedelics, but perhaps were left out of that conversation because, you know, as always, men get all the credit, right? Um, so those are just some of the topics that I'm excited about, reading books connected to those ideas, and then finding people to interview to podcast. Yeah, I love the idea of of art too. I really think it should, we could expand it um, or maybe complement it by just looking at media in general, representation in film and TV. And also, I don't know if we have any Gen Zers in our book club. We have some members that are in their early to mid 20s. Are they considered Gen Z? I don't know. But there's, I'm not sure. <laughs> there's a whole, I mean, the way in which like Gen Z's using apps like TikTok as a form of, you know, protesting social issues, it's all so fascinating to me. Representation in TV, 
Um, there's a lot more shows that are being remade to be inclusive of queer characters and show, you know, queer relationships. So there's just so much kind of meat on those bones, so to speak, that we could really dig our teeth into. So I'm definitely into all of those topics we just talked about. And I want to interject here, too, and say that you have introduced me to the best TikToks this year <laughs> on your I, Instagram, <laughs> ironically. I always go to your stories, Jillian, because your TikToks are hysterical and pleasantly interspersed with pictures of beautiful homes and lovely food to keep my stress level down. <laughs> yeah, that's really, that's how I use my social platform. I try to share, I, I don't really do Facebook anymore. I think Facebook is um, not the thing anymore for people under 30. I've noticed that, but I'm always on Instagram. I'm not so much on TikTok, but I love for my stories to be Things that bring me joy, so beautiful architecture, food, funny memes, funny TikToks, but also with some, you know, social justice and political issues peppered in, um, so people are still seeing the important stuff, too. I think that next generation, that's what they're so great at, is, like, relatively high production value and creativity and on a really, you know, simple platform in a simple way and addressing the kinds of issues that we talk about in our book club, but doing it in a way where, you know, I never could have thought of it. So it's a really interesting thing to delve into. And speaking of the younger generation, a topic that I would like to um, cover in the next year or two is women and personal finance. I realized this year when I turned 45 that I am 20 years from retirement and Having gotten divorced and now sending a child off to college, I have had to teach myself more about personal finance this year than I ever really wanted to know or thought I needed to know. (laughs) And I'm now realizing that that is such a formative thing that really we should be teaching kids in their teens and especially their early 20s. I, I see now that I could have made several small changes in my 20s that it would have put me in a much better position today as a single woman of 45 who's looking at retirement sooner rather than later. I feel stressed out even hearing you say that because it's one of those things that's like always in the back of your mind that you know you need to do better about, but it's it's stressful to think about it. And so I think kind of laying all of our cards on the table and being able to have an honest group conversation where we can share, you know, wisdom and experience would be really helpful. Well, and I will say one of the things I've learned about this year, I have been, of course, being a good little feminist. As I try, as I educate myself about personal finance, I'm drawn to women in the field. And there are actually women's investment circles where small groups of women meet together and that's what they do. They sort out their finances together. They choose their investments together. And it's, you know, it's a community. It's a social activity, but it's also learning and educational. And for better or for worse, Lee's going to say for worse, <laughs> in, our, in, this, in this place and time, money is power and money is freedom. And so I think when we, when we as women let money be pushed to the back of our minds, particularly behind how we look and how our houses look and how our faces are made up, we are really doing ourselves a disservice in the long term. Yeah. 
Oh, I totally agree with you, Shannon. I mean, despite what I might think about idealistically about money and capitalism and all that, I actually take my finances very seriously. And I think that if you are a single mother, you have to, you, you get a rude awakening in the moment where you realize you have to be financially independent, take care of other human beings. And so I wish I knew more, but I think that I, I have, um, I think I've always had to take care of myself financially anyway. So I started really young trying to make decisions based on finances mm -hmm. that maybe other people would not have made. Like, for example, going into the military. I mean, that was a purely financial decision that I made. And it paid off because I got my college, my undergrad and my grad school paid and I don't have student debt as a result of that. Which is a huge, huge thing. Which is a huge thing. Like my partner right now is huge student debt that he's paying off. And I know and watching him that that's a, he struggles with that, that, that keeps him from being able to do a lot of things. Yeah. So I'm, I take finances very seriously. And like you, I'm, I'm at that age now where I'm like, holy crap, I only have you know, so many more years to build a retirement and, you know, and I want to be able to give my kids some things, although I don't, I want them to be able to work just like I had to, because I think there's something valuable about that. But I also want them to have something to fall back on in case they mess up, you know, and, yeah. and that's a really, um, and think about how empowering that sense of security is. Like, it kind of reminds me of like um, a room of one's own or, you know, it's like just to know that you have this space or just to know that you have this safety net or you have this nest egg, like just to know like, hey, I like whatever happens at the end of the day, like I'm going to be OK is is so huge. Like and that came up when we were talking about domestic violence, like reasons why women don't leave, because sometimes to stay would be easier because of of finances and so you know the more and I was a bad feminist I always said I can't wait to like wind up with a partner that's really smart in finances and I don't ever have to think about this a day in my life I think I've said that before too yeah, though <laughs> it's it's a it's a huge albatross like around all of our necks and so I think I think we are you know further underscoring why it's important that we talk about these things yeah, because we make a lot of compromises as women based on our financial uh, independence. And tying this back in with 2020, this is the year of the women's recession because so many women have had to either cut back on their jobs or quit entirely due to childcare and educational issues. And so I think there we see that this pandemic is going to disproportionately financially impact women and their permanently, possibly their career progression. You know, if all this had happened, if I'd had a five-year-old, I would not have been able to, to go to return to full-time employment during this pandemic because the childcare and school issue would have been just totally unmanageable. And, you know, as we've recapped this year, I'm really astounded by how much we really have done over the course of a very challenging year. And I know for myself, I wish that I could have been more involved with every activity we had, but um, I just didn't have the, the bandwidth for that. But what I do wanna say is whether you enjoy watching movies or you enjoy reading fiction or you enjoy reading nonfiction 
or you just like hanging out with a glass of wine or a cup of coffee and chit-chatting with some like-minded women, feel free to show up. This is not an all-or-nothing group. This is a buffet. Take what you like of our offerings and, you know, let us know what you like. We'll have, we'll offer more of that. I think that was really beautifully put, Shannon. I mean, I've shared briefly about my story on here before about how I moved back to Alabama, my hometown, after living, you know, all over New Orleans, Los Angeles, abroad. And I came back here to kind of get my bearings and figure out what I wanted to do next. And if I hadn't found this group, I would have been so incredibly miserable. I mean, I was shocked that a group like this even existed in Southern Alabama to find like-minded women. And like you said, Shannon, it's like a buffet. You can pick and choose what you want to take from it. I didn't come to every book club meeting. I didn't come to every movie. But this group was a great uh, support network for me while I was here. And I am moving, as I mentioned. I'm going out to the West Coast. And I'm really excited about that. But I think what we've proved this year and what I'm really excited about is that distance is not an issue. We've moved online. Um, The book club has been really vibrant this year. And I'm still looking forward to participating. And I've also connected with a bunch of cool women from all over. There's a woman in Canada I've been talking to, and she's really great. Yeah, I I second that. Like, I feel like we've attracted so many interesting women in our area that felt like you coming to the South, maybe moving to the South, or just having lived here for a while but not really finding their group of like-minded women. And I've just personally met so many wonderful, interesting people whether they come in and go to a few book clubs and then, you know, disappear for a little while and then come back in, it it's all good. And um, and now we are doing our book clubs online. So we'll do a face-to-face and an online at the same time. And so we have been meeting some women from other places of the world, I'll say, because we have somebody new from Canada that's joined. And so that's been also another bonus. Like we've previously were just kind of isolated to our area. Now we're expanding. So that's exciting. That's what we kind of always had hoped we would do. And I just want to circle back to a point that you made about you can't please everybody. And this is a buffet kind of a style thing. You can pick and choose what you want. And I think that's important to keep remembering is like one of the things that I am always adamant about is we don't really project one way of being a feminist, one way of having an experience in this group. And we do try to pick and choose things that are interesting and reflect the people in our group and their interests as much as we can. And so this isn't going to be one of those spaces where you join and you either walk the line or you don't and you're out. (laughs) Like this is where we try to really embrace diversity and really understand people and meet people where they are and understand their experiences wherever that may be. Yeah. So what are you waiting for? (laughs) If you're listening and you haven't joined us yet, I really hope you will. Um. Well, we are really going to miss you, Jillian. And I really appreciate what you have brought to this group and also just having you in my life. And there is no replacement for the full Jillian experience. (laughs) So I am really, really going to miss you when you go to L.A. But I'm grateful for our time together. I am too. I really am. I know we'll keep in touch. 
Me too. I'm secretly hoping you're going to go to California and miss us so much and turn around and come right <laughs> and, back. <laughs> and suddenly begin craving Southern Alabama. Southern again. Alabama. That's what happened to one of our book club members. She left and, and she came back. Yeah. She couldn't help it. There are parts of the South I will definitely, without a doubt, miss. And maybe that can be revisited on a podcast after I've been out there for a few months and can more eloquently explain that. But Yeah. And that's another mission that we've had is to connect um, when people in our group do live in other places or do leave is that we can connect with, like, women in California now that you're in California, you yeah. know, and, like, maybe pull more people from all over into the group. Well, and I think that's important because I think we saw that happening this year, like when Alabama um, had the abortion ban on the table that they were considering passing. You hear, or like even during the presidential election, obviously the entire Southeast was were red states, and people give the South a lot of flack collectively. They look at it as a monolith, like, oh, you know. F the South, like, you guys are holding us back, you're all a bunch of rednecks, blah, blah, blah. But the thing that's the most frustrating for me, you know, I'll have friends DM me and be like, oh, I can't believe this is happening in Alabama. How do you live there? And it's like, don't you see, like, that attitude is part of the problem? You need to be acknowledging and supporting the people that are here that are doing the work. To live here and to do the work is is the hardest thing. And not everyone's cut out for it. I'm not going to lie. I'm relieved to be leaving after a particularly hard, tumultuous political year. Um, but I think, you know, l realizing that there are women here that believe the same things you believe and that are, you know, stuck in a tough area to live in, it's just it just further helps create those bridges of understanding and compassion and empathy. And so... I think broadening our horizons that way is really good. Yeah, and I'll just echo that and say that either move here or elevate the voices of the women who are doing the work here. Just, you know, be as supportive as you possibly can and don't take for granted. This might be an easy thing to talk about and address and, and publicize and all those other things in an area that's progressive. But here, it's really difficult to talk about feminism here. It's really difficult, even within the women in our group, to even say it out loud, to call themselves feminist. And we've seen that. Like some women say, you know, I can do this more privately, but to be vocal about it is even more challenging. So, you know, we face a lot of challenges in something that might seem so easy and simple and normal in some other area. And that's what I would like to return to is that this is not a group where we all hold the same beliefs, but... It is a group for people who perhaps have ever experienced living in small town Alabama that even saying the word feminist aloud was difficult. Yeah. But we're going to keep saying it over and over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> we will. Well, I guess that's a great place to stop. And I just want to thank Jillian and Shannon for coming on and, and talking and celebrating this 2020 and looking ahead at 2021 and knowing that Things are going to be great, and we're going to continue to do this work. Yeah, this was great. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you. Well, Fem South is a podcast and book club community produced in the Deep South. We are dedicated to educating, supporting, and empowering women through feminist theory and community. We are intersectional, we are inclusive, and we believe there is no one way to be a feminist. 
Feminism is an ongoing journey of self-discovery and activism. Our book club is an ongoing exchange between theory and embodiment. And we are simply here to hold space for this collective journey. If you want to get involved with FemSouth, you can go to our website at FemSouth.com and sign up for our newsletter. If you would like to be a part of our book club, you can ask to join our private Facebook book club group where we read and discuss books online. If you're local, you can find our events on our Facebook book club group and come out and join us. You can also follow us on Instagram and listen to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play. We'd really appreciate it if you would give us some feedback and a rating so that we can know what you, dear listeners, are thinking. If you feel motivated to support us, you can head over to our Patreon account, Patreon slash FemSouth, where you can select your monetary gift. So until next time, you've been listening to FemSouth. Music